0: happens in a pit stop? The car pulls in, four tires are taken off,
1: four tires are put on, a full tank of gas, and the driver's gone. Accountability, being willingly answerable and responsible for your behavior.
0: The average length of a pit stop in a NASCAR race, 14 seconds. Second, second, second.
1: Accountability is everywhere. It's most often practiced before it's utilized. It helps accelerate performance. It actively engages. It allows us to track successes and progress toward individual and team goals. When we grasp the power of our assignment and resiliently take action, we're able to run our race and win. When the pressure is on, accountability helps us persevere. It drives us to succeed and leads us to victory when we need it the most. When we hold each other accountable, there's nothing stopping us in this race called life. Accountability, what are you responsible for?
0: When I think of accountability, I have to think about a group that I'm involved in, and it's called my accountability group. There are about six guys. We've been together for a good number of years and I'm accountable to them. Uh, They ask me hard questions at times and I ask them hard questions. And the last question we'll ask each other is, have you lied to me? You know, it's important to be accountable. Uh, I'm accountable to my wife. I'm accountable to my family. Uh, I'm accountable to a board of directors. Accountability is an important quality because it helps me grow. It helps me have healthy relationships. I don't want to be a lone wolf out here. I want to be accountable for what I do. Now, it's important for all of us to realize this. Every one of us, whether you're a follower of Christ or not, are really accountable to God because there are no secrets. There uh, are no hidden activities. He sees and knows it all. And I don't have to live in fear over that because He loves me and He loves me with an everlasting love. He has nothing but the best in interest for me, so that's okay. It's okay to be accountable. It's an important quality. And if you're gonna advance in your career, I wanna suggest that accountability is really a very, very important principle because if you don't have it, you start operating in secrecy and you compromise integrity. I want at the bottom of the chart I want to be known as a person of integrity. I I don't want secrets. I want to live openly. And in order for me to do that, I have to be accountable. In Hebrews chapter 10, we read these words, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. In other words, an accountability group. Now that can be called church, but accountability is vitally important And I want to encourage you to live with accountability. All right. I should have thought about being accountable before I ate that second bowl of chili. Uh, That was good stuff. Uh, Who did that? Thank you for putting that together. That was great. Good to have you here. Yeah, it's worth laughing about. I mean, that's pretty good to be able to go to work and whatever you do and then come here and eat and then. I get fed spiritually too. I hope everybody's had a good day. Uh, I've had a busy day. A lot of people ask if I'm driving back and forth. I did go back home to Harrisonburg yesterday because I had to be at Rotary uh, today uh, because we were reporting on something we did on Friday. We had a food drive that was just really awesome. Uh, we stood in front of all these grocery stores and handed out a little slip of paper. Didn't cost anybody anything but time. And said, Would you help us restock all these food pantries in one day? And in one day, we collected almost 12,000 pounds of food. And re- Amen. <clears throat> and uh, we restocked 11 food pantries in one day that'll take them through Christmas. And I just think it was pretty awesome. And we had a, kind of six preachers in, my, in the club that I'm involved in. It's a pretty large club. And uh, we had this competition. And one of my mentors, Dr. Myron Augsburg, who's in his 80s, uh, who was president of Eastern Mennonite when I went to college there, I wanted him to win. I wanted to honor him. And the winner was going to have to take a pie. Uh, But um, I said I would take his pie. And today, though, he wanted me to give him a pie. So I got to put a pie in his face. It was fun. We had a good day. Uh, If you haven't stopped by the book table yet, the uh, Lodestar stuff is there. And I brought uh, with me tonight a a notebook that has some of the flyers in it that uh, for each principle accountability wisdom passion integrity whatever uh, a flyer is given and we have a teaching guide that goes with that so the video plus that and so if you want to stop by and look at that and I brought we sort of ran out of flyers yesterday I think but uh, I had some more printed today and year the year is coming to an end quickly uh, you need a new devotional guide for the coming year so uh, look at uh, this one and there's some great books out there for gifts I hope you'll take a look at the two coffee table books that are there. Uh, Come to the Table was the first one. It's done really well. Uh, It was born out of a survey that George Barner did a number of years ago asking the unchurched world what they think of us. And it wasn't very complimentary. (laughs) And I happened to be at a dinner party uh, and this lady had a beautiful coffee table book on her table uh, and we were talking about this survey and the three leading things were boring judgmental hypocrites. I said, that's not who I am, and that's not who I want to be. I said, let's do something about it. And she said, like, what? I said, let's produce a book like that, and we'll call it Celebrating God's Balance." It was about 12 people in the room. Everybody laughed and said, right, you're going to write a book. And I said, yeah, we are. And so I went back and wrote a book proposal, sent it to Thomas Nelson. They got all excited about it, and we've sold 160,000 copies of that book. So it's done quite well for a book. And for a book in the Christian world to be successful, you know, there's not too many Andy Stanleys or, or others around Uh Chuck uh, but for a book to sell more than 5,000 copies is pretty big, and so uh, we're very thankful. And the sequel to that is Share the Bounty. Now, if I could sit down beside each of you tonight and get in a conversation and say, what is your purpose in life? How would you answer that question? I want you to think about that. I want to suggest to you that all of us have a purpose in life. God created you. He knew you. Before he laid the foundations of this earth, Jeremiah says he loves you with an everlasting love. He wants nothing but the best for you, and he wants to use you for his honor and his glory. So, what is your purpose? And it's got to be more than the job you do. You know, thank God for jobs. Thank God for the privilege of being employed and being able to support our family, et cetera. But what is your purpose in life? If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Genesis chapter 12. And from my understanding, this is the first missionary call in the entire Bible. It's God's call to Abram. And we're going to read that in just a moment. But before we do, I want us to pray that little prayer, Lord, speak to me. Uh, Lord, speak to me. I, I want him to speak to each of us tonight, and I want each of us to be obedient, okay? Let's bow our heads and pray that together out loud. Lord, speak to me. Lord God, we give you these next few moments And I do pray that you will speak to us, and I pray that we'll be obedient. Help each of us to discover our purpose in life, our purpose in knowing you, our purpose in serving you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so God calls Abram, and in chapter 12, verse 2, we read this. He says to Abram, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you i will curse and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you now who would not be excited about god coming to them and say hey guy i got this plan for you and i'm gonna make you into a great nation now, i don't have any kids yet but you're gonna be a great nation i'm gonna give you a great name and i'm gonna give you a land wow I think Abraham got really excited about Abel. Then he got changed to Abraham later, and Abraham and the entire Jewish community, I would suggest, miss the main point. The whole purpose of being given a being made into a nation, the whole purpose of being given a name, the whole purpose of being given a land is so that all the earth might be blessed through you. They didn't get that part of it it became sort of selfish pride that hey i am special i am pretty neat guy and it had gotten so bad by the time jesus got on the scene that they weren't blessing they were cursing i mean if you were a gentile like most of us you were excluded and then if you had the misfortune of being a half-breed Samaritan, you would doubly curse. You remember the story when Jesus went, he said, I must need go through Samaria? They didn't go through Samaria. They went around Samaria. The Samarians were the untouchable. It was so bad. You're talking about prejudice. If you're walking down the road this way, and I'm a Samaritan, and a Jew's over here, and my shadow falls on the Jew, he goes home and bathes. I mean, you're talking about prejudice. It was bad. They hated them. You say, Steve, what does that have to do with me? Turn over to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. You can read verses um, 7 through 14 later. I'm just going to read verse 14 to you. He redeemed us, the Gentiles, in order that the blessing given to Abraham. Now, what blessing did God give Abraham? Make you to a great nation, give you a great name, give you a land so that all nations of the earth might be blessed. He redeemed us so that the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Now, let me unpackage that for you in a life experience that I had several years ago. I was playing golf with two friends of mine up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and they were much older than me. This was about 15 years ago. They're both with the Lord now. One was named Iron, the other was named Ralph, and we were playing what they call this old man's course. It was pretty open. And uh, so we were walking that day, and this guy playing by himself catches up to us. And so, like you do on a golf course sometimes, you say, would you like to join us and make a foursome? He said, yeah, I will. And so we introduced ourselves around, I, our Ralph, Steve, Abe. Well, I have a series of questions I like to talk to people and get to know people. And so you can't just stand around on a golf course and talk. So we're, after a little while, we're walking along. He and I happen to be together. And I said, Abe, are you originally from Lancaster to live here all my life? And I talked to him a little bit about his family and stuff. So we got separated. And so a little while later, I said, Abe, what kind of work do you do? He said, I'm retired. I said, what did you do before you retired? He said, I ran a clothing store. Now, I know you're not supposed to stereotype people, but I thought, Abe, Abraham, clothing store, <laughs> he's probably Jewish. <laughs> um, so, anyway, after a while, I said, Abe, can I ask you a personal question? And he said, Yeah. And I said, uh, Do you attend church anywhere? And sort of defensively, he backed up and said, I go to synagogue twice a year. I guess High Holy Days, I don't know. I said, Oh, really? You're Jewish? And he said, And again, sort of defensively, I said, he said, I am. I said, Put her there, I am too he looked at me and said, really? I said, well, you know, I said, I wasn't born Jewish. I was adopted. He said, really? I said, yes, sir. He said, that's amazing. I said, yes, the most amazing thing ever happened to me. And he said, what was the name of the family that adopted you? I said, actually, it wasn't family. He never got married. He was single. What? I said, yes, sir. (laughs) He said, that is really amazing. I said, yeah, it really is. I said, it's the most amazing. He just took me in, Abe, and changed my life. Treat me like I was one of his. He said, what was his name? I said, I want you to know that I'm not kidding. I said, "Uh, you know his name. At least you've heard his name. I said, I was grafted into the family of Abraham through faith by my Jewish Savior, Jesus Christ. And he looked at me and started back to him and said, do all Christians believe this stuff? (laughs) I said, well, they may not put it like that, but yes, I've been grafted in. You've been grafted in if you know Christ, my friend. And the blessing that God gave to Abraham, I believe ours is better. He said, I'm going to give you and make you into a great nation. Now, I'm thankful to be an American. I really am. I'm, uh, we got problems, I know that. We're not perfect, I know that. But I tell you what, I've had the privilege of being in I don't know how many countries all around the world, and I've yet to find one that comes anywhere close. <laughs> uh, that's my perspective. I, I'm thankful to be a part of this nation, but I tell you what, I got dual citizenship tonight because I'm a part of another kingdom made up of every kindred, every tribe, and every tongue. I'm a part of a different nation tonight. You are too. Our blessing is greater. Our is greater. Our nation is greater. I don't care where you go on planet Earth tonight, my friend. We got family. We got people that we are kin to through Christ. He said, I'm going to you, make you into a great nation. He said, I'm going to give you a great name. There's still something very special about the name Jew or Jewish. I don't care where you are. If you mention it, it's almost like that old E.F. Hutton commercial. You remember that, some of you? You stop and listen. <laughs> people want to see what you're going to say, positive or negative. Negative something powerful about that name. It's amazing to me, that little piece of real estate, that nation attracts so much attention from all around the world, good or bad. There's something powerful about that name, but our name is greater. You know, we can put all kinds of tags on who we are. Baptist, Methodist, Nazarene, Independent, whatever, Presbyterian, Mennonite. Nothing wrong with that. I'm I'm not condemning any of that. But we have so much in common. Why would we build walls that separate us? We are a part, not only of a great nation, we've been given a great name. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Christ tonight. And I am convinced when I get to heaven, the Lord's not gonna ask me if I was Methodist or Baptist or Nazarene or Mennonite or anything else. He's gonna wanna know, do you know me? Our name is great, my friend. We're Christian. Several years ago, we were doing a crusade in Haiti, and I was up in the northern part of the country, Cape Haitian, and uh, I was planning to fly home that day, and I get a fo- phone call that morning from Air Haiti. It said, "Monsieur Wingfield, we don't no fly today. I mean, I don't go home today, and, so, you know, I, and I wanted to go home. So I found some missionaries that were going back to Port-au-Prince, and uh, they took me, but they had a meeting they had to go to on the north side of town. I was going to the south side of town. I've been there many times, and I said, no problem, just get me a taxi and everything mm, famous slice words no problem they got this taxi and we started out and it got dark anybody been to haiti There are tap taps and goats and donkeys and people and and i told this guy to take a left and i realized as soon as i did i shouldn't have and then i realized he didn't speak any english and i didn't speak any creole i did learn some new words though that night uh, <laughs> He got really mad at me and we ended up down in the worst part of port au prince down next to the city dump i used to think people just came to hear me preach and he stopped this volkswagen man gets out opens the door and he's gonna pull me out and people gather around this van and they're all agreeing with him and i'm saying lord i need some help what am i what I, i i said christian christian and this one brother about three rows back said me christian and he knew enough english to get in that van take me where i needed to go and we got to where we wanted to go, and my friend who came out and realized the mess I was in, he said, Steve, go in, because the taxi driver's really mad. He said, Go in, I'll take care of it. I got inside and I realized I never asked him if he was Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal. It didn't make any. He was my brother. <laughs> we were one in Christ. We got a great name, my friend. How many of you have ever been to Israel? Uh, this, this spring I'll be taking my 14th trip, I think it is. Uh, I love the land of Israel. You know, you, you go over there. And, you know, sometimes you see on television they're throwing rocks at each other. They'll never run out of ammunition. I mean, it's rocks everywhere. And I wonder, what are you fighting over? But it's their land. God gave it to them, and they'll die for it. It's their land. But our blessing is greater. Because 2,000 years ago plus, Jesus, before he went back to heaven, he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. My friend, he's gone to prepare a place for it. Paul said, Eyes not seen, ears not heard, neither is it in the heart of man. But God has prepared for those of us that love him. I mean, we can't even get a grip on what heaven's like. It's absolutely beyond our wildest imaginations going to be a land filled with glory and grace. We're going to serve the Lord. We have a great land to look forward to. This world is not my home. I'm just passing it through. My treasures are laid out somewhere beyond the blue. I've got a great land to look forward to. Beulah land, one of these days, we're going to get there. Thank God. Our blessing is greater. The whole purpose of being made into a great nation, oneness in Christ, not division, but oneness, We're to build bridges, not walls, with each other so that the world might know. There's a prayer that's still waiting to be fulfilled that Jesus prayed in John 17 that we might be one. Why? So that the world might know. We're part of a great nation. We have a great name. We've been given a great land. Hallelujah. What a day that's going to be. But until then, Jesus said we're to occupy until he comes. And the whole purpose of that blessing is so that all nations of the earth might be blessed through us. God wants to use you. Your purpose in life is to be an instrument of blessing. That's why you exist. That's why you breathe and live and have your baby, so that you can be a blessing. And I'm going to give you four ways that we bless, Okay. I, it's okay if I come down there, I need some help here, so uh, I'm going to pick on a couple of you. Hold up. Okay, I'm coming down. <laughs> okay, would you help me out here? Sure. Okay. Um, several years ago I was in Ghana, West Africa, and uh, KLM lost my bags, and I had some friends with them. I was doing two crusades. For the first week, uh, I lived out of one of my friends' suitcases. I got to know him really well. Um, but before I went to my next speaking engagement, we went back to the airport to see if I could find my bags. And they assigned me this gentleman to take me to this building, probably the other side of your parking lot, where they store lost luggage. And so we start across the parking lot. Give me a hand. And he's holding my hand. <laughs> and I'm going, whoa. <laughs> I'm going to that building with him, and he's holding my hand. I mean, my right guard failed me. I- <laughs> But, you know, the, the further I walked, I almost became angry, not at my new friend, because his gesture had zero sexual connotation. He was showing support. Thank you. Yeah, he was showing support. He was showing support to somebody who was away from home and that needed a friend. One of the ways that we bless is through meaningful touch. Now, I'm not talking about anything sensual, but I'm saying touch is important. And if you don't believe I'm right, you go to any nursing home, and see how people just long to be touched my mom and dad were married for 67 years before my dad died and i remember visiting my mom several well maybe a month after my dad had died and i asked her mom what do you miss most about dad and big old tears ran down her cheeks. she said i miss his touch even secular psychologists and psychiatrists are telling us the power of the human touch to heal and restore when i first went into romania 27 years ago when it was still under communism nobody knew about the orphanages outside of romania aids orphanages where they'd have a hundred kids up to two years old in one room with one caregiver the stench was so beyond belief you can not even begin to imagine and these children babies sitting in this crib rocking back and forth brain damaged because of lack of touch don't tell me touch is not powerful Several years ago, Barb and I were standing in the lobby of a church in Sarasota, Florida, where a friend of mine, Vernon Zook, is the pastor, and I heard this on a Sunday morning. We were standing there, and and Vernon and his wife were there, and this lady, elderly lady, walks in, and they both hug her. And this is what I heard her say. I so look forward to coming to church because this is the only hug I get all week. You know the Beatles used to sing a song, Elder Rigby? All those lonely people, where do they all come from? My friend, we're surrounded in our world today by lonely, hurting people that need somebody in the name of Jesus just to touch them. And we cannot allow, and again, I'm not talking anything sensual. Please know that. But we cannot allow the homosexual community to tell us guys, especially how we operate. I mean, it can be a fist bump, it can be a chest bump, it can be a hug, but I'm telling you, touch is important. And if we can't, as as the body of Christ, exemplify meaningful touch to the world in which we live, it's one of the greatest tools of evangelism that we have at our disposal. All kinds of people just need to be loved, need to be touched. Meaningful touch. Secondly, spoken words. How many of you remember this little phrase? I want you to finish it for me if you remember it when you were in school. Sticks. That's a lie belt straight out of hell. (laughs) My body can mend from sticks and stones. Words have the power to bless or to curse. And when you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ redeemed this instrument, this little instrument, To be a blessing. Anybody can curse the darkness, takes no talent whatsoever. Anybody can tear it down, takes no talent whatsoever. God has redeemed us to build people up. Isn't it amazing how at times we're tempted to speak in ways to those that we love the most with tonation that we would never Think of standing on a platform like this and doing. I, I, I mean, I've been guilty of it. The enemy is, I, I've said with tonation, I've never cursed my wife. I love my wife. I, I would not want to do anything to ever dishonor her in any way. But there have been times that the enemy allowed, I allowed him to get into me and I would say things with tonation that were not blessing. God wants us to bless, my friend. He wants you to bless your children. I was in a grocery store the other week, and I saw this mother talking to her her three children in a way that I wouldn't talk to my dog. And I thought, oh, my word, if she's doing that in public, what's happening in her home? God wants to use this instrument to speak words of blessing, words of encouragement to those people that God brings in. This world is seeking to tear people apart, tear them down, and God wants us to step into their lives and speak words of blessing and encouragement to them. So we bless through meaningful touch, through spoken words. Thirdly, I pray that God will give all of us the eyes of Jesus. Not just to see who a person is, but to look beyond who they are to who they can be in Christ. That's the kind of eyes that I want. You know, my dad was a pastor, and um, I'm the youngest of seven kids, and there's 10 years difference between me and my next brother, which means my mom said I wasn't planned, but I was always warning. Uh, uh, but by the time I was about eight years of age, my, not only was my dad a pastor, all my brothers were either in ministry or away at school preparing to go into ministry. And so the natural question, wherever I'd go, somebody would pat me on the head and say, Oh, you're going to be the on one of the preaching Wingfields. And I, I can remember, I shudder at this, crazy, but at 12 years of age, I literally said, You leave me alone, I ain't doing it. Uh, and as a result of that, I began to run from God. We lived on the eastern shore of Virginia, just across the bay at a Nancock. And the only reason I was in church on Sundays, because my dad was a preacher, I didn't want to be there. And as soon as that benediction was, I was was out. Can I pick on you a minute? Come here. There were two guys in my church, Howard Smith and Ray Hunley. They they were crabbers. Successful, didn't have a lot of education, but I tell you, they loved Jesus. And more than one Sunday, old Howard, can I I hug you a little bit? Old Howard come up to me and grabbed me and pulled me up and said, that old Eastern Shorebrook said, boy, I want you to know I'm just a praying for you. (laughs) Thank you, man. You know, so often I hear these kind of remarks. What's this piercing all about? What's all tattoos all about? Now you may not like it, but look beyond that. God wants us to come and speak into a person's life and love them and represent Jesus to them. I mean, several years ago I I saw this girl she had two sleeves here. They look pretty neat. Uh, But anyway, uh, I led this guy to Christ Kelsey, he had a sleeve. And, I mean, this was new at our church. This is probably 20 years ago. I led him to Christ. And, and then I went to Romania. And I come back, and he's working on one over here. But he can lead you to Jesus on this one. I mean, he's got the whole plan of salvation on this sleeve. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. That may not be what I want to do. I'll show you that. No. Uh, <laughs> but it's okay. That's, look beyond that. It's just stuff. My dad taught me a lot about that. When I, was, I didn't know this until my dad's funeral. Because this barber in Amherst, Virginia, where my dad was the pastor, my dad led a, led, later led him to Christ, and he became a Methodist preacher. And at my dad's funeral, he came to me and said, did you ever know about that mohawk I gave you? I oh, said, well, yeah, I know you gave me a mohawk. He said, no, the, that I called your dad. I said, what? I went to the shop and I said, uh, I want a mohawk. He said, well, okay. He put the thing on me and said, uh, I was 12. And uh, this is for anybody that had those kind of things. And uh, uh, he said, i got to run the bathroom a minute. And when he comes back, he calls my dad. I didn't know that. And he said, Reverend, when you feel Steve's down here, he wants a mohawk. <laughs> my dad said, what's that? He said, just one strip of hair right down the center. He said, what should I do? He said, oh, I'll go and give it to him. He won't want but one. And, uh, <laughs> and so I come home, I'm expecting a fight. And I, my mom, dead, neither one of them said anything. Finally, I said, hey, you like my haircut? Well, I don't, but it's up to you. It's your hair. Well, about a week later, I was tired of it. People were kidding me about it because nobody had one me. And I said, can I get some money? I think I'll just get this cut off. He said, no, I'll give you money every two weeks. If you want it, you pay. Okay. <laughs> it's just hair. Just seeing beyond that to what a person can be. And then the fourth commitment is being actively committed to helping those individuals that God brings into your life to become everything that God wants them to be. You can't do it for everybody, but you can do it for somebody. Just think if every one of us would pick somebody and just start investing in them. You know, uh, I was a terror in school. I'm not bragging, I'm just reporting. Uh, I, I, I came along before Ritalin. Um <laughs> I mean, I really, I really was. Until I got my life straightened out spiritually, I was, I was always in trouble. I just, uh, it was terrible. My fourth grade teacher, Mrs. Maniply, godly lady, we used to call her old Ms. Multiply. And uh, I was misbehaving one day. I didn't even know she was anywhere around. I thought she was out of the classroom. And all of a sudden, she comes up and she grabs me right here, this spot right here. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble because I'd already been told if I forgot. Trouble one more time, I was gonna be sent to the principal's office and got there one more time, I was gonna be sent home, and my parents operated under the floss. If you get it here, you're gonna get it there, and I am not going to go to the place. I've never forgotten what she said to me. I mean, I was a fourth grader. She leaned down and whispered in my ear, got a hand right here, and she said, Steve, God has gifted you. Whoa, man, I thought I was in trouble. I'm gifted of God, yeah. yeah. <laughs> She said, he's giving you a voice that carries really well. <laughs> she said, one of these days, I believe he's going to use it in a mighty way. Then she pinched me and said, but in the meantime, young man, you be quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Years later, I was doing a youth revival in Danville, Virginia, and she's retired. She's living with her daughter, and I didn't even know she was in the service. And after the service, she comes up to. She said, do you remember? I'm Mrs. I hugged her. She said, Steve, she's a little mischievous too. I think that's why she liked me. Uh, she said, I came in and God gave me a verse. I said, really? She said, yeah. She said, I saw you sitting up there on that platform. And I said, what's this thing that's come to pass? There he is clothing in his right mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, thank God that she saw in me not just who I was, but who I could be. And I want you to think about it those four principles, spoken words, seeing a person not just for who they are, but who they can be, and then committing to the Lord that you will use everything within you to help that person become everything that God wants them to be. Aren't you glad? I hope this is true for all of us. I know it's way true for me. People that saw in me not just who I was, but who it could be, a mom and dad, a Mrs. Manifly, a Dr. Elmer Towns, a Dr. Robert Coleman, a Dr. Myron Augsburger, and others have invested in me. And I'm who I am today because of their investment. You know, every one of us could go home tonight take an apple and cut that apple open and count the seeds in the apple. We all can do that. But only God can count the apples in a seed. God wants to use you to invest in some of those seeds, and you have no clue where they may end up. How do we eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you tackle a forest one tree at a time? How do we change America? One person at a time. How do we grow Salem Fields Church? One person at a time. Just think what would happen if every one of us would invest in one person and rescue them from where they are and help them get to where they need to be. Oh, that's the kind of legacy that I want. I close with this. Gay and I are both graduates of Eastern Mennonite College. And when I was in seminary, uh, I went to seminary a little late. I had a, a year of seminary, and then I pastored in Rolfe for eight years. Uh, knowing that God had called me to be an evangelist, but I wanted to have some pastoral experience. And after I was there, I thought I was only going to be there two years and then go to seminary, but I ended up staying eight. And then I worked for another evangelist for three years, and then I went back and finished my seminary. So it was almost like a sabbatical for me. Uh, I was so blessed to, to be there. i never forget on a Sunday night, I received a phone call from a dear friend of mine that used to travel with me and sing, Barry Hummel. Yeah, and I was talking about him earlier this, this evening before service. He said, did you hear that the administration building had burned at East Dominion? I said, no. He said, yeah, it was a total loss. And I couldn't help but wonder what that campus would look like without that central building. It was a beautiful old historic building. Well, maybe a month uh, went by, and I was asked to speak at a missions conference at a Mennonite church in Ohio. I wish I'd saved it, uh, but they had a bulletin insert that day. Can I borrow your paper? It was, it was you know, just about this size. It was uh, inside the, the program. And uh, I, it, it, I guess they had met and said they were going to do demolition and clean up, and they were asking volunteers to come to Harrisonburg to help with the demolition and clean up. And these words were printed on that announcement, no experience necessary. I mean, if you can breathe, you're physically able, there's something you can do. Well, a couple of months went by, maybe three or four months, six months, I don't remember. But I was speaking at a revival in Roanoke, Virginia, and I, borrowed, I had flown in from Chicago, and I borrowed a car on Saturday and drove up to Harrisonburg just to see the campus. And they are building the new building. Steel's in place, bricks being laid, and there's a chain link fence around the whole place. And every few feet, there's a sign that says, authorized personnel only. What made the difference? See, anybody can tear it down. That takes no talent whatsoever. Anybody can do that. But when they started to build, it was authorized personnel only. They wanted people who knew what they were doing, were qualified, so that the building would be done correctly. If you know Christ in a personal way, my friend, you are authorized. That's why you've been redeemed. And your purpose in life, regardless of what your job is, your purpose in life is to represent Him well wherever you go, in whatever you do, and whatever you say. He wants us to speak words of blessing. He wants us to touch people in the name of Christ. He wants us to see people not just for who they are, but who they can be. And then He wants us to be actively committed to fulfilling our purpose. Would you stand with me for prayer? Lord God, I thank you for every person here tonight, for the privilege of being here. And I pray that uh, as we prayed earlier that you would continue to speak to us and that we would commit that we will be men and women who will operate with meaningful touch spoken words of blessing, seeing people the way you see them, not just for who they are, but who they can be, and then actively committing ourselves to being a part of that mission. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, here's the invitation tonight. Now, if if God's convicted you for something and you've been cursing rather than blessing and you wanna come and, and lay that here, that's fine. If you're here and you've never committed your life to Christ, you're not a part of that nation. I don't want you to leave here tonight without knowing him. But primarily, I've spoken to all of us who are a part of that nation. And if God has laid somebody on your heart that you feel like that's one of your purposes in life, as the worship team leads us, I just want you to get out of your seat, even if it's fills up up here, fill, I, don't, I don't care. If God has spoken to you, I want you to come and just, before the Lord, pray for that individual and ask God to use you to reach them for Jesus. You be obedient to whatever God asks you to do.